Get ready. Three, two, one, zero. You are listening to the Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Ryan Livergood, Trey Barrett, and Will Greenwood. That's right. We are the Fantasy Joes. Joining me this evening, as always, we've got Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Doing pretty fantastic, man. I'm uh, looking forward. We got a special guest. I don't want to ruin the surprise uh, many moments too soon, but pretty excited. We got the NFL draft just a little over a week away. It's exciting. Wonderful time to be alive, gentlemen. I love Trey. You don't want to ruin the surprise because anyone that's listening to the podcast right now, they look at their podcast player. It says fantasy Joe's have Matt Harmon on the show. So I, but I appreciate that. If someone just blindly started playing the podcast, um, it was a surprise until I said Matt Harmon. <laughs> I think he's actually saying like, Oh, Will Greenwood's going to be a big part of the show tonight. So keep that secret. <laughs> so it is exciting. We've got the NFL draft next week. And if you haven't heard, I don't think we've announced it yet. We are doing, Two live shows on YouTube, Thursday night after the draft and Friday night after the draft. Um, we, we will be tweeting information out at FF Joe's on Twitter. Um, you, you don't want to miss it. And if you do miss it, if you decide I'd just rather go to bed after the draft, that would be a mistake because we're going to have a lot of uh, our friends in the Dynasty community come on and talk about the draft. But we will release it as a podcast the next morning. So we're going to be with you right after the draft, day one and day two analyzing how the draft applies to dynasty leagues, to dynasty rookie drafts, you know, action you should take. So you, you won't want to miss it. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to believe, but I'm more interested and excited about tonight's show and those draft shows than the Baltimore Ravens are in free agent wide receivers. <laughs> yeah. They, they like all of them. Don't they? Oh, Des Bryant's free agent. Baltimore's interested. Hello, Roto world. name one name one free agent wide receiver baltimore hasn't been interested in and i'm above that i'm above that in interest level well it's not just that it's that twitter i mean like i have to stay off twitter between now and the nfl draft can we please just have the draft over so we know the landing spots for these people because it's like everybody's predicting every player to every team and it's just like i mean you know the patriots are going to have the first three picks in the draft they're going to end up with uh you know, Barkley and Josh Rosen. It's crazy, man. Every – it's exciting, though. I know I know people are looking forward to see where these guys land. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. And so is our special guest tonight, Matt Harmon. So the Fancy Joes are very happy this evening to welcome the one that only Matt Harmon, the – creator inventor of reception perception you can find his work on nfl.com he's on nfl network he's everywhere he's matt Harmon. what's going on oh I'm, i think it's a great time guys and thank you so much for having me uh this is this is such a fascinating draft i feel like to talk about on a macro level and i've actually really you know normally around this time of year and i know i've seen plenty of people on twitter like all right draft just get here just get here but i have really enjoyed the discussion around this draft maybe more uh, more than usual. So uh, I want to thank you guys so much for having me on uh, to talk about it tonight. No, thank you. And it's interesting. I mean, we'll talk about the draft in general and how the NFL is changing, but I guess I'll just be generic and jump into wide receivers. And then we can go from there because looking at the wide receivers, when I look at my top five, 
you know, it's, it's kind of, the, everyone kind of has the same top five. Maybe DJ Moore has separated himself as this like tier one of his own. Then you've got Sutton, you've got James Washington, you've got Christian Kirk, and then you have poor Calvin Ridley that everyone's making fun of because of his old age. So that's kind of your, you know, tier. And then the tier below that, it's a group of guys that are really interesting. These are all guys that have flaws, but some really intriguing guys like, like Pettis and Anthony Miller, guys like that. So is, is, do you think that's a pretty good assessment overall this class? Like if you're in a dynasty league, do you, you kind of have that, that, that tier of five, maybe DJ Moore separates himself and a bunch of other intriguing guys that could do something in the NFL. What's your assessment in general of the wide receiver class? Yeah, I've said on Twitter and on other podcasts that I'm like, nobody has asked, nobody, nobody that pays me money has asked me to rank these wide receivers this year. So I just haven't done it. Uh, and that's kind of how I'm going <laughs> to, that's yeah, how yeah. I'm going to approach things going forward. We but, would, but it's, we don't have the budget for it, man. I'm sorry. Totally understandable. <laughs> totally understandable. Maybe next year, guys. But uh, I think, like, just thinking about it in my head, you know, trying to separate your number one ranked receiver from your number 10 ranked receiver is very hard. Like, even if I sit here and just, cause you know, what else do I have to do, but think about football, sit here and try to think like, who are my top five receivers? I get to number five in my head and I think, ah, oh, man, well, I, I feel like I can't leave, you know, James Washington or Anthony Miller or, uh, you know, there's always somebody I feel like now he's definitely a top five receiver, but I think what that just goes to show you it is that there's not a lot of separation between these guys, you know, the, the, the 10 or 12 guys that I've really dug into heavily. Um, I don't, I don't see much of a difference between them. And really for dynasty, I think what that means is it's going to come down to landing spots a lot. And, you know, just to dive right into it, I think like one thing that might be a good idea is to like maybe accumulate a bunch of second, early third round picks as if you need wide receivers and just like kind of play the probability game, like, Hey, one of these guys is going to hit in a good landing spot. And it, there might not be a big difference between, again, that number one to number 10 guy. Do you think, do you think having uh, the, the next gen stats and the way people are, I feel like in, in general, at least for me and the way we've done this podcast, more heavily invested in the combine results in the community versus just like film, you know, people watching film and looking by NFL scouts. Do you think that's had an effect on a class like this where you have kind of this, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like a lake, you know, you don't have big ripples within what we're doing. There's not, you know, you know, big waves with a, a one big time player coming through. Do you think, uh, you know, is even some of your work, do you think that's had an effect on what people are analyzing these players as? Cause I could feel like back in the day, a guy like Calvin Ridley or, or a guy like Christian Kirk who put up this amazing film are going to be elevated to the next level versus now we just have a lot more questions for these guys. Yeah, there's definitely, Maybe this is maybe this is kind of what you're saying is like there's a lot there's a lot more noise out there and sometimes and as a good analyst or even just a good fantasy player the job is to find the signal in the noise be able to separate the signal from the noise and I think with just so much information out there and it's good you know I think that the fact that I like to well I don't but my who I would consider my mentor in this business Sigmund Bloom calls it like an academic department you know like the way that we approach football, everybody comes at it from all these different angles. Like we're all trying to uncover the same thing, which is basically like, who's going to be good. Uh, but you know, somebody from Rotoviz might look at it, you know, in a pure production market share type of perspective. Uh, somebody else might really look at it from a strictly uh, athleticism based perspective. I might come at it from kind of like a mix of being a, a putting analytics to film and then someone else like Matt Waldman might be doing it just strictly based on what he sees on tape and trying to marry all those is very difficult. 
but I do think it's important because, you know, one camp might prop up a guy that the other might not have seen. And we all know that there's no perfect evaluation method. I mean, our eyes lie to us on film just as much as uh, numbers can lie to us uh, from, from the combine or something like that. So I agree with you and trying to exploit the inefficiencies in your own individual league or, or what you're trying to view things. That's what's is important. If you know that you play with a bunch of guys who kind of fall for those big time combine athletes, maybe then, you know, you can get maybe a discount on those Christian Kirk type players. Yeah. I think it makes it a lot more fun. It just is. Uh, I mean, for, if I had a dollar for every time I heard, cause you know, a big time consumer of, of all this stuff, if I had a dollar for every time I heard my model, yeah. <laughs> uh, on a podcast online i'd be a very wealthy man this year <laughs> yeah no to take a shot for every time somebody says my model uh yeah <laughs> I, I joke with i'm good friends with jj zacharyson and he said like whenever it's prospect time on his podcast it's always he even has made re- like a joke about it on the show is like you know he's always referencing my model my model my model and it can be like okay like what the hell does that mean you know <laughs> yeah. so it, it, it's funny but you're right it is definitely it's it's good to have more information than not so Matt, it's Trey here. Um, so I'm super curious to get your take on overall from a fantasy and especially dynasty perspective, the state of the wide receiver position in the NFL. I think there's been a real shift. You know, I think that um, the, the, the day of the, you know, true wide receiver one in the NFL that is, you know, going to get um, just inundated with targets year in and year out is kind of fading that's kind of a dying breed and the offenses in the NFL are learning to utilize more role players and and guys that fit their scheme well Um, and at the same time we've you know I think historically you've got guys like you know someone like Ryan McDowell which is a, a guy that I've that I consider to be kind of like on the Mount Rushmore of dynasty minds and you know the the concept of building around young wide receivers and now we've seen this resurgence in these running backs and trying to kind of get ahead of the curve. What is your thought process on the state of the wide receiver? Do you still feel like it's the position to invest in in Dynasty because of the longevity of the position? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to kind of hear your take on that. Yeah, I think that you've made a lot of really good points there. I would agree with you that the way the wide receiver position is deployed now is different than it is even when I started charting receivers for reception perception like four to five years ago. Uh, I've said this on a lot of podcasts. I know I tweeted out the quote that Kyle Shanahan gave uh, recently, which he talked about uh, that like having a Julio Jones type of receiver is great. Uh, If you have that, you should keep it and you should use it because it makes your life an awful lot easier, but it's not necessary. Kind of what you were just, what you were speaking on is that, you look at a wide receiver core as a bunch of different role players that, you know, I have my speed guy, I have my slot guy, I have my possession guy, and we're going to have these hyper-specific roles and not necessarily funnel the offense through one player. I think that a lot of the best offenses in the league are operating that way right now, whether you look at New England, uh, Philadelphia, uh, the Rams, I think all of those teams would classify as that. Maybe the Chiefs are even moving in that direction with kind of two, like a 1A and 1B. Even Minnesota has like kind of a 1A and a 1B. are any of those guys true number ones and coverage dictators? I would, I would d- doubt it. You know, I don't, I wouldn't put any of them on that Mount Rushmore. Uh, so I agree with you. That's the way the wide receiver position is going. Uh, the running back position kind of already had gone through that evolution. And I think maybe we're kind of overreacting to the wide receiver going in that direction as well now too. Whereas now everything is just going to be kind of committee based. Uh, if you think about it, like, 
you know, for running the way, the way it works for running backs to me is like those guys who are the true bell cows, whether it's Le'Veon Bell, uh, you know, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, those guys are pushed up the board because they're rare. And then I think that's going to be the same way at the wide receiver position. Those guys who are that still that true number one wide receiver, they should be appropriately still valued very, very highly because they're going to become more rare, in my opinion. Uh, but what that does do is it boosts up these kind of part-time players to become more big-time fantasy assets. Like slot receivers are a great example and that they're not going to be these true number one receivers for NFL teams, but for your fantasy team, if they're going to get 120 highly efficient targets in the middle of the field, that's something then you want to invest in just like for fantasy with like pass catching third down running backs, like a Chris Thompson, you know, a few years ago might not have been somebody that people want to build around. Now he's a guy that we're all after because he holds a very valuable role. Yeah. And I think that the dynasty community in general tends to be a little slow to come around on that. Cause you take a guy like Jarvis Landry, perfect example, whether it's redraft or dynasty, it seems like perennially undervalued because he's not that big flashy, you know, I mean, he, he and, and now going to Cleveland, I think, you know, things could I still like him a lot. I'm I'm really excited to see what he mm-hmm. does in Cleveland. But I, I think, you know, because of the the big shiny value of these marquee, you know, the Mike Evans, you know, the young guy that is a, a dominant kind of can, you know, uh, catch, you know, go for 1200 yards and double digit touchdowns. Uh, but I, I think it's very interesting. And I, I'm curious, you know, because two years ago, I think that nobody would have expected we are right where we are right now. So it's very interesting to me to try to think, you know, 24 months from now, where are we going to be and, and how are things going to shift and, and try to be ahead of that, which of course, you know, is impossible to do, but fun to uh, at least hypothesize. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's, it, I really think this draft too is like an inflection point in the NFL and like where things are going to go. It, it, it's, it's really just a fascinating time to try to try to break down the league. So speaking of where we're going to go, next-gen stats. Uh, and Matt, you're working on, on, on that directly, I believe, with NFL. It's seriously cool, has amazing potential. And I want you to discuss like, how dynasty owners can use it to their advantage in the future. For example, I was playing around with it the other day. I discovered that looking at Albert Wilson, he led the league in average separation at 4.1 yards. And I know he's a guy you were high on in the past. So if I look at this stat, and I realized, okay, maybe he has a decent opportunity in Miami. Should I say to myself, should I go out and grab Albert Wilson for cheap based on what I see in next-gen stats? Yeah, with next-gen stats, it's important to remember that we're all kind of learning on the fly with this. Um, and, you know, what that means is we don't necessarily have, like, years and years of data to look back on to discover what matters and what doesn't. Um, you know, because, you know, I, I always say this, I used to say this with reception perception. Like if I was really doing this as like a serious academic, uh, study, you know, I would have waited five years and then come out with this data and been like, Hey, here's what I've discovered based on the last five years of wide receiver classes. But that's not how media works, you know, especially at the NFL. It's like, okay, we have this data. How can we now use it to make money? You know, that's the, you know, so that's an important thing to keep in mind that, you know, I've been working with this data intensely for the last two and a half years and I feel like I'm learning more about it you know every day uh so that this is one thing to keep in mind with some with like separation is a great example that I haven't found it to be an incredibly useful stat to because it doesn't correlate well with really anything um I think it describes something that happens on the field but whether that describes anything that that's useful to us uh, I would say not yet. I think that what like just the 
on a raw basis, like that separation between the defenders, I think it can be useful, but it needs a lot of context. Like Albert Wilson is a great example that he has all that separation because he's running a lot of short routes. So once we can eventually get to the point where next gen stats can tell us, you know, what each route, like the separation on each, 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 each individual route and you know, what type you know, at the depth of the field, combining all that together, which it will, it will get to that point eventually. Then I think we can get, then we, I think we can really learn something like, so for next gen stats, I wouldn't say like every metric that it can put out is really great. Um, some of it is, is, is awesome. And I found does tell us a great story. Others, you know, maybe are just more like, Hey, that's interesting as opposed to like, Hey, let me take that and then make an action on it. Uh, you know, that, that I would, that I would say like, that's like what I was talking about earlier, like separating signal from noise. Like, you know, when you just look at next gen, like, like I do and like, Oh my God, there's all these numbers like, okay, now what does it all mean? That's where I think we have to be smart consumers of things. So I'm not, I'm not trying to talk down on the product at all. Like there's so much that, you know, I can't even get into that, that we're going to be putting out in the coming months that I think will be really helpful for people with their fantasy teams and that sort of stuff. But uh, just, I would say like question everything, if that makes sense. Yeah. Even, even like a, like ball velocity coming in. Cause you're going to have different separation. You have Tim Tebow throwing, you know, knuckleballs to receivers versus yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody in there throwing you like Brett Favre throwing heaters the whole day. Yeah, no. And, and there's like, it's also when is the separation measured because that's an important thing too. Uh, some players have a drastic difference if they, if, like, because I've looked at separation when the quarterback releases the ball versus separation when the ball arrives, you know, those are two entirely different stories. And what do those stories tell you? It's hard to say, and it might be on a case by case basis. I'm, I'm just really glad you're here for, for, for that. I mean, we're the, we're the fantasy Joes and I really love doing this. I just don't know if I'd ever love watching the, the separation of like, you know, each, each receiver when the release comes out <laughs> so well that that's kind of that's I, I love the, reading about it and i love learning about it but actually actually doing the the leg work in the nicest way possible um, no that's so why I'm the freak shows like, <laughs> that's why the freak shows like me exist is so that you guys don't have to do all the work i'll do the work and because i have no life and then uh, you guys get to see the fun part of it the results <laughs> we've got it sounds like you've carved out a great uh living you know an existence for yourself in the nfl and it's really Cool, cool to see and see how things go. And, you know, in, in these stats that you come out with, they are, they are really neat, especially for us like nerds and what we're doing and looking at. I was just saying in general, like, the, you know, I've, I've done film review and signed up for that kind of stuff. And it's just not, I don't have the attention span for it. You know, I, I can analyze and do spreadsheets, but when it actually comes to like freeze framing and, and tracking where each receiver is in the, the formation and where they're lined up is, where they're at the line of scrimmage, that definitely, definitely was not for me. But yeah, it's, a, it's just really happy you're here to do that. <laughs> my pleasure i mean i'm happy i'm the one that gets to do it too i wouldn't i could never real job so there's so there's that <laughs> and uh and, and i hope you guys uh everybody else doesn't mind but i wanted to jump into one uh other part about it like what so what is your favorite uh route watching because i know you ask receivers coming into college uh specifically dj moore you mentioned on a podcast I can't, I can't remember specifically which one it, it was, but he said, you know, the comeback route's his favorite. That's a really cool thing. What's your favorite uh, route to, you know, chart? And then what, on top of that would be, uh, your, what, what do you think your best route would be running? <laughs> my, my best route would be like the route away from the person who's going to hit me. Uh, I, I, that's one thing like, you ever, you guys, <laughs> do you guys ever see like, I, the one hit that always stands out to me 
you know, is like Tyler Eifert at one point went up and caught a pass in the end zone and got like, you know, speared in the back. And, you know, he got like, for one, it's rare to see this, but he got up and wasn't hurt. Uh, And I remember seeing that and was like, oh my God, like if that happened to me, I would (laughs) dust on the spot. I'd be, I'd, I would be cooked. I, I don't know. Like, I don't have that ability. You can like think you're the man lifting all the weights you want, but then like one of those guys in the, in the, on the field comes at you and it's like, like, I've seen, you know, Willie McGinnis and like LeVar Arrington and some of these guys that used to play, like walk through the halls of the NFL network. I'm like, Oh my God, if that person even like sneezed on me the wrong way, I would die. Uh, so that would be my, (laughs) (laughs) that would be my route is the fastest way to, to avoid being hit by anybody. I don't know. Probably just like a quick out to the sideline and like, all right, cool. I'm out. Get out of bounds. Um, my favorite route to chart. And that I think tells us a lot about receivers uh, is actually the route that DJ Moore said, the the curl and, and the comeback, especially the curl route because where they break back into the middle, into, into towards the middle of the field towards the quarterback as opposed to away towards the sideline on the comeback. Uh, and it was a lot – it was just great to hear an actual receiver validate this thought. Like, with the curl route, you can really do a lot. You can work man coverage. You can find the hole in zone coverage on the curl route, especially when a cornerback is lined up against a number one receiver – uh, tight to the line of scrimmage and press man coverage, and they can release properly from press and then sell the vertical route before snapping back to the quarterback. You know, that's a quick way to get 10, 15 yards right there, uh, especially if that receiver is a good route runner. And since I, since I spend so much time charting routes, it's always just one of my favorite ones to see executed well. And not to mention, it's one of the most frequently targeted routes in the NFL too. So if you can run a really good curl route, uh, and there's a lot of guys in this class who do run good, who do run those good routes. Like, I think you're going to find your way onto the field because, again, it's a very highly run route. It's a very highly targeted route. Uh, and and if you can combine all the skills that it takes to create good separation on that, it's just a real fun thing to get to see to put together. So, you know, obviously, I don't have to tell you this, right? The NFL draft is next week, and so for well, 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 really <laughs> breaking. We got a breaking news soundbite, Ryan. You can drop that right in here. I know this is this is news to everybody. I mean, this is this is a game changer. So you know you, you're going to have an influx for for a dynasty team. There's going to be an influx of um, talent on their roster, and then likely between now and the beginning of the preseason or season, depending on the league, we're going to have to start making some cuts. And so I know. I have been noticing, not just on myself, my but league mates of mine, we're not really patient with these wide receivers. We, we got a guy like Laquan Treadwell, who's still 22 years old. He's been in the league a couple years. He was a first-round pick. Drafted in a lot of leagues as like the 101 or 102, and people are like, oh, I'm going to cut him now so that I can you know, have a spot for Calvin Ridley. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but who, who are some of the wide receivers? You know, a Nelson Aguilar last year who just took a little time who are some of the guys that you've liked in the past that haven't really arrived and you know I'm not asking you to proclaim they're going to break out and put up you know wide receiver one numbers but who's a guy that you think that has has been kind of maybe forgotten a little bit that a a player a dynasty player might be tempted to drop that you'd say yeah I'd hold on to them maybe maybe this is the year that they could could take a step forward yeah thinking about and that's a great point too, because the receiver position, like it used to be the the three year rule, you know, like they're going to break out in their third season. Now, of course, we're far less patient 
Um, and some of these guys do walk into opportunity. Some of these guys don't. You know, Aguilar is a good example of a player that, you know, he look, did look like an, an outright bust, and then he gets a role change, and he, and he starts playing really well. He gets his confidence back, et cetera. Uh, Devontae Adams is another one that, I mean, he, he looked like he's walking into – he did walk into a golden opportunity. Over 100 targets in an Aaron Rodgers-led offense really flunked it in, in, his first, in his first appearance there. And then, of course, now he's, he's a top receiver in the league. He's catching double-digit touchdowns and everything like that. And he's legit gotten better each of the past three seasons. Uh, so that's a, great, that's a great thought. I think Treadwell is one of them. Um, for, and it's, it's also important to think about – to ask yourself the question, why? Why has the uh, why has this situation happened the way it is? You know, with Treadwell, you can tell yourself a couple stories. Maybe he was never that good of a prospect. He does have two receivers ahead of him. Uh, he's one I think is probably worth mentioning. Um, I don't think Josh Doxson is at the point where people would want to be cutting him, but I think he's definitely somebody that could take that big step in the third year. Malcolm Mitchell is definitely somebody that I think I really, really liked coming into the NFL. Um, he looked like he was starting to pick up momentum in his rookie year, then obviously misses all of his second season. But now things have changed there in New England. Some players have left. Uh, the depth chart has opened up. He's someone that could be kind of on, on the rise at that point. So th those Malcolm Mitchell is definitely one that uh, I think about. And even, hey, look, Kevin White, you know, uh, it's scary to think about uh, because it's such an – and look, it's, it's, I think it's elicited laughter from all three of you. <laughs> but you so We also have a resident Bears fan in, uh, in Mr. Ryan Livergood. So yeah. We'd be pretty stoked about that. Yeah, and I've, I've just kind of written off Kevin White. I can't, I can't even pretend that there's a shimmer of hope for him. So I, I hear you. I hear you. But he's one of these players that if you ask yourself why, there's the easy injury thing to – there's injury obviously as an excuse. Um, not not – ever with the best of offensive coaching staffs. I'm really confident in, in Matt Nagy and what they're building there in Chicago. And most importantly, they don't seem like they're ready to give up on Kevin White. You know, they let Cameron Meredith go. Uh, there's an opening there for a third wide receiver, or really like a number two wide receiver to play across from Allen Robinson while also incorporating Taylor Gabriel and Trey Burton in more creative roles. So he's someone that I think is definitely, if he's not already been cut, is on that cutting block. But might be worth holding on to because you just mostly need like a variable. That's the thing. Like you need a variable to change with these guys. Like if it's just the same old, same old thing and you're thinking now this time things are just going to completely change that, that usually doesn't happen. Uh, but again, if you can find that change in variables and there's a couple of here going on with white, you can at least tell yourself maybe that, that, that something might happen. He, he won the injury battle in Chicago. Yeah, I would love for okay. Kevin White to break out because oh, when he like he explodes on the scene for like 100 yards and two touchdowns in week two or three of the NFL season because I'm just going to sit on Twitter and watch it implode like it will be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the year Kevin White and uh, Bashar yeah. Perriman go full ham. Oh. <laughs> It'd be awesome. See, it's funny though. I I'm with you on on Kevin White because what I can't what I can't stand, uh, and there's not a lot of people that do this, but there's like a subsection of people, like fantasy analysts, that like want to pat themselves on the back for you know, oh Kevin White, like I knew he wasn't going to be good. It's like, well, he hasn't really had the chance to to be good. You know, he's like we've seen him for brief brief glimpses, and admittedly hasn't been a good player, but it's hard. So it's like, I would love to see him come back and just, just to shut those like three, four or five people. Yeah. Up. It's the same thing with like John yeah. Ross, you know, like everybody that said last year, don't take him early. 
And, and I'm yeah. not saying he's going to become anything, but there's so many people that are like, we told you last year not to pick John Ross and look what, and I'm like, the guys, yeah. the guy's been in the, I mean, granted he scored negative fantasy points last year, but I mean, he's been in the league for less than 12 months, you know, give him a, a chance. So. Yeah. He's had a cup of coffee on the field. And I think this, the lesson there is don't take victory lap because yeah. while it might feel good, get a couple likes. I don't, I don't know. I don't even think, I don't even think like my, in my opinion, I don't think the audience like finds it all that cool to watch you like take the Twitter victory lap. Um, so it might feel good in the moment, but the way the NFL works, like this is another thing Bloom always says is like, you can be right and wrong about the, pl- about one player in the course of a season. Like, you know, it, it, there's so many examples of that. Like if you were a big Kareem Hunt fan, like yeah, overall, yeah, you nailed that. No, like no doubt about it. Like you, you nailed that, but like you can look really right in the first half of the year super wrong in the middle of it when he's doing nothing and then right again at the end of the, that's even like you're right and wrong on the player over the course of three parts of the season so it's just again just pass on the victory laps yeah there are three um past reception perception favorites of yours that you know are for willie sneed things aren't looking so good for tyler lockett well there's a little more opportunity there in seattle isn't there and then Dante Moncrief, I'm not really sure what to make of that Jacksonville situation. Yeah. So what about those three guys? Because I'm kind of still a little bit of a Moncrief truther. truther. I don't want to give up on Dante Moncrief, but I, I don't know. He's, he's a one-year deal in Jacksonville. I guess it's a prove-it deal. What do you think of those guys well, and, at and this moment, Matt? Willie probably has the strongest name. So Agree. factor that in there. Yeah. Any Wills are usually good people. Um, I, I think, like, <laughs> so the way, like, Moncrief, or you're just talking about those victory laps, like, I haven't thrown out the shoes but I've definitely put my running shoes like in the trunk, you know, in the closet. Like I'm not, I'm not ready, but at the moment he does good. I'm like, I'll dust those, those off and be like, yeah, see, I knew I was right to always hold out hope. Uh, But no, seriously, he's kind of a tough one because I really thought, again, talk about changing variables. You know, you can really tell yourself the story with Dante Moncrief's career about how this has all kind of been due to bad luck. Uh, Literally uh, with Andrew Luck, like obviously when, when, when he when luck has been on the field cooking moncrief is hurt uh when luck is gone then moncrief's not hurt you know you can tell yourself that story and just he just hasn't gotten the right breaks even though it kind of has always seemed like it's always been there for the taking um but then again he goes to a place in jacksonville where look they obviously wanted to bring him in they paid him a lot of money about 10 million dollars for one year uh but i don't really have confidence that a player that that needs obviously that little bit of extra juice of development is going to get that in a Blake Bortles passing offense. So I don't know that I have a lot of hope for Moncrief. Uh, Maybe he just puts together some decent games and then goes to another new team next year. Uh, You can tell yourself that. So the guy I think of of these three that I'm most convinced is set up well right this moment is Tyler Lockett. Uh, I think the knee injury obviously took some, he's another one that maybe people are thinking about throwing in the towel on or whatever that I think is about is experiencing that change of variables. Cause if you look at Seattle's pass offense right now, I mean, it's like Doug Baldwin and nothing else. Uh, they've got Jerron Brown there, the other, other Brown uh, from Arizona, he, you know, they, they signed him and that's really been their own only major addition this off season. Um, so I think Lockett could be a guy that he definitely underperformed last year, kind of lost playing time to Paul Richardson. Uh, but he could be in for a change this year. So he's someone I have of the three I'm most optimistic on. And then Willie Sneed, it like, I just, I hate that one. Cause like he was legit a good player for two years. And then obviously has the, has the off field incident comes back, doesn't get into shape. And now it looks like Cam Meredith is going to take his role. Um, he's someone that I would hope that like you get a few decent 
games out of him this year. And he's another, like, he's another one that I think would, would be best to like resurface somewhere else now, but I don't have a lot of hope for this year. Although I wouldn't, he's another one I wouldn't give up on because I think he had legit two good years of production. So Harmon, what wide receivers that will go late in dynasty rookie drafts would you not want to leave a draft without? Yeah, this this question's a good one because, like I said, I don't think like I think there is a lot of depth, and I mentioned like you could pluck a lot of interesting players from the second round, uh, sort of in, in rookie drafts. Landing spots going to be really de- heavily dependent on where these guys how how much I would say like I want to don't want to leave the draft without this guy. But one of one, one player uh, that I really like and I think would thrive in almost any place he went to is Deshaun Hamilton. We were talking before about you know. Did I go to Penn State? No, I did not. Did I? Uh, am, I on the, am I on the payroll? No, I am not. But I do think they produce good wide receivers. At least they have the last two draft classes. I really like Chris Godwin. Um, and Hamilton really couldn't be any different than Godwin. Uh, like Godwin was almost exclusively an outside receiver in his final year at Penn State, whereas Hamilton last year was almost exclusively a slot receiver. Um, but those guys are good it, despite the fact they're very stylistically different they're both good because they're really good route runners they're really good technicians and that's because they're coached really well by a receiver coach who I've actually gone back and forth with a little bit um, and talked about like what what it takes to be a good wide receiver and, and why these guys show up so well in my system is because of that good technique and that good route running uh, so Hamilton I think is a guy that is going to go overlooked mostly I mean he's rising for sure more people are talking about him than just me but he's a guy that I think could easily slide in to any offense and be that primary slot receiver and, and have one of those 60, 70 catch seasons kind of every year uh, if, he just, if he goes to the right spot. So he's somebody that I would really be wanting to grab. You know, another player uh, that I think is a little underrated is like Kiki Cutie, uh, maybe another guy that is, is a slot receiver, but fun name, uh, and, but also has that big play ability. And I think if, you, if you're a big play threat, that can also run good routes, you'll find your way onto the field because the tactical advantage that that is present with just one of the with a big play threat uh, is someone that I is he's I, th- I think he'll get a, an opportunity earlier and I think he could capitalize on it. Um, and the last guy I'll mention is uh, is Michael Gallup. Uh, he's another underrated receiver that again is very different from the other guys that I just talked about, but I think that he is somebody that he reminds me of like a poor man's version of Michael Crabtree. And I thought the last guy who reminded me of Michael Crabtree is Michael Thomas. Uh, This is like three degrees of Michael here, but the reason I like Michael Gallup is he just so he has what I would say a trump card trait, which is he has the ability to just win contested balls like nobody's business. Not a good, not a great separator. I would say that Thomas and Crabtree are superior separators for hit for sure than him. But he has that ability to win the football in the air uh, and he's just a clean overall player. I do think he's a pretty good technician despite not being the best separator. Uh, so I think he could be a guy that goes, you know, if these players go in like the second, third round, you know, the team likes them uh, and then they're going to be cheap assets. You can invest in with some hope in, in dynasty. So it's one of the things I love about Gallup is so, you know, PFF has him scored extremely highly and so do some other places, but your dynasty league, when it comes to fantasy, you just don't know how people are quite going to feel about those kind of guys. And again, the, the NFL draft will probably just – like if, if Michael Gallup goes to, you know, like the Packers, mm-hmm. everybody's going to just go nuts. Or, or the, the 49ers or somebody like that. But I think that's why, as far as the a receiver class, that I think is the most fun to, to think about going into the draft. This is definitely 
one of one of my favorites. Yeah, and and the reason I like Gallup to to mention in a group like this, like I could definitely sit here and say, like, yeah, you 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 don't want to leave with without, uh, you know, the the Deshaun Hamiltons, the DJ Boers, the uh, the the Anthony Millers, but all those guys are probably going to be at least hybrid slot receivers. You know, probably most of their routes are going to come from the slot, but they might play a little bit outside as flankers. But Gallup is one of these guys that I think is a good sleeper perimeter receiver. Um, I don't think he's getting discussed a lot, but I do think he's a good solid prospect. And I think that the way his film looks, some NFL team is going to really like him and see that ability to win contested catches and think that it fits well in their offense. And because of that lack of perimeter receivers, um, I think that he might stand out in that way. It'll be interesting to see Deshaun Hamilton in certain dynasty leagues, uh, the, the guy is uh, 23 years old. He's, I think it's three months older or three months, only three months younger than Calvin Ridley will. And um, I, I think that'll be interesting to see people devalue him um, because of the age thing in the dynasty mm-hmm. league. So I think he's a guy potentially, even though he's getting a lot of hype um, or a lot more, not a lot of hype, but some hype in dynasty circles, his age may deter people from drafting him. So he may be a, a good late round dynasty rookie draft value. But we'll, I mean, we'll see what his draft capital is, but, yeah, he's definitely a name to keep an eye on. Uh, eye on because of that. And, and since, since 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 you started it, Ryan, <laughs> not, not me. Uh, so Matt, there's this this quick just a couple questions of it's a game that we play here called Is he older or younger than Calvin Ridley? <laughs> and it's very brief. Uh, it has nothing to do with Calvin. It's just kind of a fun game because his age just gets talked about all the time. He's like the new Calvin so, Benjamin, man. I feel like this was the thing with Benjamin when he when he came out. These guys just get wrecked on for their for being. <laughs> And Cooper Cup, you know, last year he was, he's old. And we don't, in all honesty, like the Joes, we don't really care about Calvin Ridley's age, but it's definitely a fun game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first one I'm going to go is uh, Zeke. Is uh, Ezekiel Elliott older or younger than Calvin Ridley? I know he was real young coming out, so I'm going to say younger. Yeah, as, that is spot on. He's seven months younger. Wow. So, uh, next one I'll bring up, I think, was one of your boys. Uh, back in the day, uh, Rashard Higgins. Oh my God, that was a good one. I noticed I did not bring him up in the uh, in the <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, he plays on the Browns. That was his first like big issue. I know, man. But do you remember <laughs> anyway. Week Two this past year though? I always, I'll never I, forget. I'll be... There's a hot take from the Fantasy uh, Joe's yeah, episode. Yeah, I touted him to on the Brian. show. I blame you because I remember oh, you, you. You. No, I'm just kidding. I'll take responsibility. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, go on. This no, get this no. guy. You know, spend blow all your fab money on him. But oh well. Yeah, yeah. If it was Will Higgins, he would have been successful. Agree, agree. Um, man, you can't have the nickname Hollywood Higgins and not work out. That's too. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with older. So uh, Calvin Ridley born December 20th, 1994. Rashard Higgins October 7th, 1994. So just over two months wow. older. Wow. So we got a, we got a stud here, everybody. <laughs> hey, I know something. the next one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's kind of like, it's kind of a, a ballpark. Next is uh, John Ross. Um, I'm going to go with old, younger, younger. But Ooh, should have stuck with the gut. Oh, he's older? Yeah, so uh, he was born November 27th, 1994, so he's 23 days older. Oh, yeah, I remember he was kind of, anyway, like, not old enough to get the Calvin Ridley treatment, but older coming into the league. Yeah, and it's just kind of the it's kind of the fun part of it for at least for me and for, because I basically run this run this segment. It's just like uh, 
I don't really, you don't really ever think about it until you actually start looking at ages. And then you start thinking, eh, does it, does it really matter that Richard, you know, Richard Higgins has been in the league and is, you know, two months older, but has it really affected him? Eh, I just don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, unfortunately not. <laughs> going to the Browns probably affected him a lot more. Like he could have been like, he could have been 19 and going to the Browns has still been a failure. So. <laughs> Agree. So Matt, I know you are quite used to, you know, you're, you're the wide receiver guru, but I have to ask you, I've asked a couple of our recent guests this as well. So if you were a betting man and you were forced to place a wager this evening on who the Cleveland Browns were selecting at one overall, uh, what's your gut? <laughs> who, who, who would you have them? Who do, who do you expect them to take if you were betting on it tonight? Yeah. Uh, luckily I work for the NFL and legally I'm not allowed to bet on anything. Uh, so that's my official answer. Now my unofficial answer, <laughs> uh, would be, I, I think they're going to end up going with Sam Darnold. I know like Josh Allen is the, is the talk right now. Um, I've was just listening to the around the NFL podcast and they had Evan Silva on and he kind of compared the situation to, uh, when Blaine Gabbert was like the supposed, you know, number one overall pick to Carolina that year, um, really through the entire process. And it wasn't until like the morning of the draft that it became apparent they were going to go with Cam Newton instead. Um, and, you know, Cam Newton was definitely not somebody that everybody saw as that really clean prospect. Um, whereas Gabbert was that kind of clean prospect, but obviously, or was at least sold to us that way, but I don't think that was ever the mm -hmm. case. So I could see like right now, Josh Allen is, is getting that noise as the potential number one pick. And it fits for a lot of reasons. Like John Dorsey has chased these upside type guys at quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Patrick Mahomes is an easy one to talk about just a year ago when he was making picks for the Chiefs. Uh, however, I think they just end up going with the clean guy. And I think Sam Darnold is that is that clean guy. The fact that he's so – I think he needs work too. Like I don't think he's yeah. – you know living out here in Los Angeles, I've seen a lot of his games. I remember when he, he like first got on the scene, uh, texted back and forth with Marcus Grant, who's a USC grad, uh, and, and go, like talking about him and, you know, really getting excited. But then I think he's play kind of leveled off, but he's so young. He'll be the, if he starts week one, which I wouldn't expect with Tyra Taylor, he'll be like the youngest player to ever start in the NFL at quarterback. Um, I think the idea that you can take him let him marinate for a while. I still, th I think it's going to end up being Sam Darnold, but I don't feel like great, great about betting on that. Cause I think the Josh Allen stuff has some merit. And of course you're legally obligated to not bet on it. So I would strongly suggest that you <laughs> yeah, not yeah. If, jeopardize your job over the frivolous bet. If Roger found for what out, the Browns if Roger found out <laughs> I would be in trouble. He'd be done. Uh, well, it's one thing I miss about – so I lived in Seattle before moving back to Minneapolis, and it's one thing I miss about being on the the Pacific time zone is you miss a lot of stuff. And I feel like with most uh, – like a lot of the Pac-12, even like players and things like that, you do get undersold when it comes to everybody else who lives in the whole rest of the country. Yeah. They're outside. You don't – you just don't get to see them as much. So for like the casual fan – you know, you, you, those games start so much later and you just don't watch them because you're doing other things by that time of the night. Yeah, no, I remember uh, when I, so I, before I worked for NFL.com, I was working with Optimum Scouting. Eric Galco does a great job uh, with that, with that package still. Um, but I actually got assigned the Mountain West games to watch uh, and break down. And that was when I was living in Virginia and it was like, oh my God, these games, you know, it's like 10 o'clock, like kicking off over here. Like, give me a break um, watching, you know, San Jose state or whatever the hell I was doing with my life then. Uh, so yeah, no, I agree. Like it's, 
you get a different perspective. But like Pac-12 bias out here is so real. Like you can't have hardly a real. Dis- I don't know if you like re- realize. Oh, I, I got so many arguments and bets at the bar with my buddies about Pac-12 versus Big Ten because you know yeah. Iowa versus Washington out in Seattle and everything. It's terrible. Like everybody, like you know, you can't bring up like a Pac-12 player without it being like a just a multi-layered discussion uh and it's just it's annoying <laughs> but it's a whole nother <laughs> in the nice in the nice way possible i i feel i feel it in the sense of like it is pac-12 when you're not it like engrossed in the pac-12 your entire life and then you go into a bunch of pac-12 fans that have been engrossed in the pac-12 their entire life it's like oof. it's like a cult yeah no, normal games aren't 42 to 45 yeah. it's <laughs> and, uh, antonio brown had an article written about him that he practices quiet feet mm-hmm. and his route running. And he's one of the guys who wasn't a big athlete, wasn't a big recruit coming out of college. You know, he's a late round pick, but in my eyes, I think one, he's the most coordinated man I've ever seen in my entire life when it comes to catching a footballer. I think basically in any sport that I've seen. Uh, and I also think, you know, I'm five ten, he's five ten, So we have a lot in common, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that, uh, so one, I think that should be <laughs> the next, next gen status to watch, watch feet movement and watch how people do it. And to relate it is I had a buddy, and I'm not going to mention his name, but growing up, like, uh, he was the loudest clomper, you know, in the gym when you're doing, like, laps in, in your class in, like, middle school and high school and, like, basketball. And I knew right then and there he wasn't going to be an NFL player because mm. you can have that lot of feet and run good routes. <laughs> but anyway, so it, it's something uh, – have you ever noticed, like, so when it comes to footwork and what people are doing in their routes and, you know, maybe comparing different recruits or, or you know, players and people that you're going to project – and write about do you ever look at their footwork and does it does it tell you a story or is it uh just something that you have you found is very important because I, I at the end of the day in my last comment I was I just feel like Antonio Brown you know, he, he everybody's like oh you know, like uh Terrell Pryor is gonna work out with Antonio Brown what's he mm-hmm. doing and I feel like that's just one of the things that in all honesty is as far as all jokes thrown out the window I do think that there are things that he keeps secret I do think that's one of them is that People don't know when he's going to cut because they can't hear it coming the same way they can with like these these, these like cl- these plotting receivers. Yeah, no. Look, route running. It, I mean, that's why I do what I do is because I'm trying to quantify with reception perception like how good of a route runner these these players are. Like, perfect example is a player like Keenan Allen. Uh, well, I just finished charting actually today, um, and just on dig route after dig route just incredible foot frequency at the break of that route to leave the defender behind and create just, you know, these wide open windows for Phillip rivers to throw him the ball. And then he makes creates yards after the catch and everything like that. And uh, the ability to sell the defender that you're going to do one thing before you do the other is crucial. Um, That foot frequency is, is, is a part of that too, because if you can, you know, tap your feet before you break right to the inside or break left to the inside or break to the outside on a comeback or, you know, continue or continue to go vertical after you do that. That's how you can create that separation. And, you know, it's just, I know it gets made fun of a lot, you know, because of, like you said, people at the very beginning, people are big into the combine athleticism and everything like that. But, you know, the, the, the job of the receiver is to run the route and get open and make yourself a target for the quarterback. And you can be as athletic as you want, but if you're not fluid and you're not precise in those moments, you're not going to get open and you're going to be too well covered. I mean, Justin Hunter was like the perfect example of a guy that on paper had all the athletic talents in the world, big, fast and all that. But 
guy could never get open. He could never get defenders off him. And, you know, a player like Antonio Brown, who is an objectively bad, you know, combine athlete, uh, is a stud on the field because he's a great route runner. And that's, and that's even just how he started to get his name out there to begin with, because Ben Roethlisberger even talked about it. Like, you know, this guy's a six round pick, but I trust him every time there's a third down, I trust him, you know, and that trust is because he creates that separation and he does so with his routes and, and foot frequency, which is, I think the official, you know, scouting jargon term for it, uh, is a big part of that. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's why I do what I do is to try to quantify who's really good at that. Um, and, and, you know, try to see it before, uh, they break out or whatever, try to project them because of that. Because if you just, if you just look at the past few draft classes, we talked about this too, like, there have been a lot of busts at the wide receiver position, but the guys who have translated well have been those good route runners. You know, the Sterling Shepherds, the Michael Thomases, the players that ran routes like pros really came in right away uh, and produced even, you know, and then you look at other guys that have, you know, maybe wouldn't be successful on the outside, but guys like Juju Smith and Cooper Cup are good route runner, good, have the good technique ability and they're put in positions to win on the inside. And, um, and use that that ability there. So kind of long-winded answer, but essentially, yeah, that I'm, I think it's a great question because it's a lot of what I'm trying to do with uh, reception perception. Well, you got one more question. <laughs> no, I was just practicing silent podcasting. <laughs> New technique that I'm using. All right. Well, Matt Harmon has been our guest, the amazing Matt Harmon. Uh, I think everyone knows where they can find your work, but if there's a listener by, ch- by the, the slim chance that's never heard of you and, and they don't know where to find you, where can they find your work? Hey, maybe they didn't like me before this. And uh, through your guys' podcast, <laughs> I, they finally got a chance to, to get to know me, see the softer side of, uh, of Matt Harmon. Um, yeah, you can, find, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, you can find NFL.com slash Harmon to check out all the next-gen stats work I've been doing there. Um, and if you want access to Reception Perception, the best thing to do is head to receptionperception.com to check out the rookie preview articles. And while you're there, if you feel so inclined, you can pre-order the Fantasy Footballer's Ultimate Draft Kit at the lowest price available right now. Uh, and if you do through that Reception Perception link, you'll get access to all of my work on NFL wide receivers when the kit is released officially on June 1st. Beautiful. All right, Matt Harmon. Thank you very much. We're, yeah, man. You're thank one of our you. favorites. You, when we started this podcast, you were on the top of our list as a, as a guest to aspire to get. So, you know, it's, it's another, wow. uh, you're one of those stretch. Look goals. at how easy it was. <laughs> Look at how easy it was. Too. Just, you know, I'm approachable. I'm a, I'm a man of the people. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the fantasy Joe's. Uh, the Fantasy Joes, this is a programming announcement. We're moving release of podcasts to late Sunday night, early Monday morning. So make sure you remember that. Check that out. Next week for the NFL Draft, we've got two live shows coming at you. We're going to be on YouTube live Thursday night after the draft and Friday night after the draft with some of our friends of the Dynasty community. So you don't want to miss that. How do you find out about that? Follow us on at FF Joes. Uh, find us on uh, YouTube. Uh, the Fantasy Joes we're at thefantasyjoes at gmail.com uh, post a review of the show but only if it's a positive one we're, we're all on Twitter right Trey is at Trey Barrett Will is at fantasyjoe underscore Will and I'm at rotolibrarian on behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood I'm Ryan Livergood and we are the Fantasy Joes <laughs> <laughs>